That first phrase in our Gospel of Mark reading today is ominous, and maybe it gets away from us too quickly. Now, after John was arrested. And so maybe we shouldn't move too quickly from this image. John arrested already? The Gospel of Mark, as you read it in the weeks and months ahead, is thrifty. Mark is eager to get us into the story of Jesus. And in this instance, he's eager to move us away from the character of John the Baptist. Not in a mean way, but in a that-was-then-this-is-now kind of way. Mark is making a statement here right from the get-go. He's saying a new storyline is unfolding in the midst of a dark time, in the midst of an ominous time. John is arrested. Some scholars surmise that this gospel is written near 70 CE. And for you Bible nerds, that's when the temple in Jerusalem is getting sacked. And the place of worship for Jewish believers is in ruins, it's in turmoil, and they are in distress. And for a ragtag group of Jesus followers who are trying to find their way forward in the midst of this era, in the midst of the empire dooming and looming above them, in the face of military oppression, Mark is writing a story of hope, a story of assurance. He's implying that it may not feel like God is here, but God is here. And God is seeking to save us and help us. I hope that feels like to you, 2,000 years later, a really, really, really good storyline for Epiphany 2024. For us Canadian Christians who are surrounded by radio news or TV reports, the daunting devastation that we see near and afar, Maybe we too feel like the foundations around us are failing or falling. The bad guys are winning. The rich are crushing the poor. The unhoused and the cold are left to fight for their lives in the bitter streets of our city. And so we pray mercy. We cry out mercy. Even as in our prayers of the people again today, mercy O Lord, mercy. In the midst of darkness, in the midst of imprisonment, the gospel of Mark utters the first words of Jesus. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. What are you talking about, Jesus? For these first century hearers, the nearness of a new kingdom would be intriguing. The reality of a reign where God is in charge, not Caesar. And Jesus' command is to repent and believe. And maybe it feels like too much for them to fathom. And so in the midst of the ongoing darkness and despair, Mark continues the story with a double call set alongside a local lake, 
away from the clang and clatter of the busy city of Jerusalem amongst a pretty ordinary class of people. Fishermen, casting their nets, mending their nets, tending to the task of the daily grind. Sure, they might have a few laughs along the way, but this is really hard work to make ends meet. It's not for the faint of heart. And in the midst of this, Jesus sees Simon. He sees Simon and his brother Andrew, burly fishermen, dropping their nets into the sea, into the lake, a hundred meters from the shoreline. And Jesus moves towards them. Imagine him wading in the water. And he shouts. They're a hundred meters away. Imagine football field. Follow me! And I will make you fish for people. People, people, people. Is Jesus joking? And yet, let's imagine that Simon and his brother look at each other. Perhaps they murmur back and forth. And with a knowing glance that brothers might share, they move. They paddle their boat towards the shoreline. They drop anchor. They don't even fold or organize their nets. They follow Jesus. So now this group of three, two ex-fishermen, this quirky but winsome rabbi, they walk through the reeds and the weeds along the perimeter of the lake, and they come upon a fishing crew. This is a bigger operation. It's a fleet of boats, a father-son's company, 20 hired workers, some out in the deeper waters, some with their boats docked, and wedged into the sandy shoreline. They're mending their nets. They're prepping for the next run. Jesus sees James and John. And he calls out, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And again, we don't know what gestures or conversations these brothers shared as they tried to process this invitation. But the result is the same as Andrew and Simon. The sons leave their dad. They leave their fellow workers. They follow Jesus. So how about us? Could the same be said for us on this snowy day in Epiphany? They follow Jesus? I'm not asking that in a shaming, we need to try harder to prove ourselves kind of way, but I do want to invite us to ponder anew with intrigue or maybe wonder or maybe curiosity or maybe you could even bring your doubts to this. We follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. And I would suggest that the image of these fishermen leaving their nets to wash out to the sea is a powerful one. 
They leave their nets. They follow Jesus. And so maybe today, let's reacquaint ourselves with the, the depth of that follow, the power of that call, even the ridiculousness of the invitation, and then the movement towards Jesus. And might we echo their refrain and say, we leave our nets. We follow Jesus. We leave our nets. We follow Jesus. Let's say that together. We leave our nets. We follow Jesus. Does that feel wonderful or weird in your mouth? As we wash our nets, or watch our nets wash out into the sea, maybe anew we watch old patterns wash away, old confidences drifting away from us, old certainties disappearing into the wave of the sea. Pushed out further and further and further. Are we okay with that? Are our hearts content as we turn our lives, our minds, our hearts, our visions, and we fix our eyes on Jesus and follow him? Barbara Brown Taylor talks of this story and says that the miracle of this story is that God acted. And that these fishermen simply allowed themselves to fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. That might feel a little too mushy or sentimental, but there's something intriguing and interesting about that picture, that image, falling in love with Jesus. She puts it another way, and perhaps we better resonate with this phrase, their lives flowed in the same direction as God's life. Their lives flowed in the same direction as God's life. When we love Jesus, when we believe in Jesus, when we turn our hearts towards Jesus, there is this surrendering. And our lives can then flow in the same direction as God's life. Now, many of us know on this Christian journey that that doesn't mean um, sunshine and moonbeam sparkles all the days of our lives. And of course, as we push into this gospel of Mark in the days and weeks ahead, we'll immediately encounter more darkness, heartache, struggle, the multitude of threats and danger that the people of God face. But right from the get-go, the words of this gospel uttered from the mouth of Jesus are here to assure us, to console us. God is here. God is with us. Jesus is on the move towards us. Moving with us, leading us, forming us, shaping us, 
enlivening our humble and maybe doubt-filled, but also at the same time faith-filled aspiration? Jesus sees us. Jesus leads us. Jesus loves us. And our response is to walk the shoreline with him. Our lives being swept into the flow of God's life. Think about the places where you will work and serve and sit and have conversations and think and mull over life this week. I want to add to your journey this phrase, our lives being swept into the flow of God's life. And we cannot know for certain where that flow will take us. But for the love of our Lord, we again leave our nets. We follow him.